Our scripture passage today comes from Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we have begun with the uh, call to worship that helps us become aware of this piece of liturgy. Um, <clears throat> we continue with chapter 1, verse 26. Listen for the word of the Lord. And God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the, all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. And you shall have them for food to every beast upon the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was exceedingly good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. orienting myself to this wonderful part of the world and really appreciating all the lakes and all the water and all the birds that seem to flock around here. Yesterday we were enjoying watching these beautiful swans out on the lake. There were four adult swans and, and they were fluffing up their feathers and it looked so, so wonderful. Till I realized they were fluffing up their their, their feathers for battle. <laughs> the battling psycho five swans in front of us, it went on for a half an hour. We couldn't believe it. You know, you come to realize that that's the way a lot of people see the world. It's one big battle. Our tribe against another tribe. The ancient Greeks, the Romans, the Persians, the Babylonians, and their creation stories, their creations were all about the battles between these various gods. And that's how they oriented themselves to life. Be ready. Steal yourself for battle. Get ready. It's coming. Modern science, of course, sees it very differently. Modern science uses the paradigm of the Big Bang Theory, and I, I appreciate that and agree with that. This, this big explosion that, that started things. What I don't agree with is to say the Big Bang Theory happened and therefore there is no meaning to life. Genesis is not about astronomy or physics or biology or cosmology or geology. Genesis Genesis is about something bigger. Genesis is about an existential orientation to life. How do we orient ourselves to life? Does life have meaning? Genesis abounds with an affirmation that life has meaning. It is the story of our life with God. In the beginning, Genesis says, in the beginning, God. God gives the meaning. God speaks 
the creation into being. God speaks and that creates us, connects us, and calls us so that our lives have purpose. In the beginning, there was tohu vabohu, there was chaos, and, and the Spirit of God broods over the chaos and speaks, and the world begins to form. It's in the speaking that we gain our meaning. God spoke, let there be light. When you sang that marvelous hymn this morning, Morning Has Broken, of course, I'm going to think of Cat Stevens and his version of that. He took that, that song from 70-some from years ago and gave it new life with those, those mellow tones that he has in his singing. Morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbird has spoken like the first bird. Praise for the singing. Praise for the morning. Praise for them springing fresh from the word. When Cat Stevens sings that song, he changes key four times. Because the heart of this song, the heart of the Genesis story, is about God keeping on changing, keeping on bringing life. A lot of times when we hear this story, we think it was something that happened long ago and that's done and it's past and behind us. But for us, it is the story of God's ongoing presence with us. This is a theological statement of profound importance when God says, let there be light. And I, you know, I, I don't know that I hear it in those terms of God commanding like a hairy thunderer. I think I hear God more in the voice of Cat Stevens saying, let there be light. Let there be light. It's an invitation an invitation to being that orients us to life. God speaks the world into being. God is the speaker. The question is, will we listen? Will we listen when God speaks? God promises to stay with us as our partner. Will we learn to rely upon the promise of God? That's the story of the whole of the book of Genesis. Genesis is an invitation to explore life with all its risks and temptations in the dynamics of faithfulness. The book of Genesis is about God speaking the promises and how or whether the people will listen. These stories disclose dimensions about our lives. The human beings created in the image of God. We tend to hear that and see that through the, the lens of individualism. And, and yes, there's great insight in that. The, the whole of human rights is based upon every human being being created in the image of God and therefore every, every human being of all these different kinds have, have dignity and worth. But in this text, it says, the human beings were created male and female. They were created together. They were created together. We are created for community. We don't realize our full humanity on our own, but only as part of that larger community. The human beings spoken into being by God, created for community, 
oriented towards God and oriented towards one another. And if God has spoken us into being together, then we need to pay attention to each other, look at each other, listen to each other, because we need each other to be really human. The opening creation story puts things in, in, in two terms that I think are wonderful. One, it's a piece of liturgy as we used it this morning. It, it orients us in life toward God, the one who has created us and, and spoken us into being. And when we hear God speaking to us, life is made new for us and we're created anew. And secondly, this first part of Genesis is written in a poetic form, and poetry requires imagination. For us to understand God and how God is working in the world, we need to use our poetic imagination to hear and to discern what God, this, this creator, this maker, this speaker, this, this cosmic poet, how God is speaking us into being. And as we hear and listen to God, we need to test out our experience, to say, I, you know, I think God is calling me in this direction. I think God is calling us in this direction. We can't be clear about that alone, but we need each other to test out, does this make sense? Is, is, is this true? Is, is this where God is calling us to be? It's an imaginative world that we live in, an imaginative faith that is discerned in the community. The blessing that we have are these brothers and sisters in faith who help us to discern what the Creator God is calling us to be and to do. Robert Alter is one of my favorite uh, Old Testament translators. He translated the entire Hebrew Bible. It, it's a marvelous translation that he has, he has put out. He's done it in uh, making sure that it's, it's translated that, that in, in ways that clearly reflect the storytelling nature of the Old Testament. And Alter, this, this brilliant scholar, says the Hebrew Bible has a, quote, indeterminacy of meaning. I love that, a certain indeterminacy of meaning. But sometimes in the text, more times than we, might meet, than, than we might really be aware of, there are these words, these phrases, these nuances, these poetic, these poetic sayings that, that can be translated in more than one way. And part of what that does is help us to recognize and to realize that, that we need to listen for the poetics of God as God is speaking us into being and to be playful with that, to be creative with it. I was in uh, spirituality, in my spirituality teacher, Henry Nowen's office. I was, I was waiting uh, to talk with him about a paper. Uh, he was delayed, and so there I was in his office, and he had this wall full of, uh, of books, and I recognized they were his, his lecture notes that he had had bound. Um, so I took a book off the shelf and looked at his lecture notes. And, and he took a while, and I took another book and looked at it, and another one and looked at it. And every one of his books, the sentences rarely ended with a period. They ended with an ellipsis. 
those three little dots, because he was waiting and wanted to make sure as he spoke his lectures that the Spirit would move and he might say more. I think that's the story of Genesis. The story of Genesis, when the creation story is written, it's written not with a period, but with an ellipsis. God has more to say. God has more to say. And are we listening for how God is creatively speaking to us today? Genesis says, in the beginning. Uh, and, and I like that translation, in the beginning. I want to validate that and say that's a very helpful way to, to translate that. But, but that same passage, the very first sentence in the Bible, can also be translated in a beginning. I just love that from the very first sentence in the Bible. There is a certain indeterminacy of meaning that makes us wonder, what new beginnings is God giving us here and now? It's not meant when we read the Bible to be the end of the story, but, but the beginning of the story, a new beginning created fresh from the word each and every day. As Paul puts it, in Christ there is a new creation. It's up to us to bring our passion for listening, to want to listen, to hear that there's more to be said, something new and transformative for us today. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, there are important disclosures about the transformative word that may break through in new ways. Yes, yes, messages that may transform us again and again. The book of Genesis begins with this passage, and it says, the humans and the non-humans come from the same source, and therefore, in God's vision for life, our life and our world is interwoven and interconnected. And we are connected with the creatures and the beasts and the bugs and the biomes in our bellies and, and the, the land and the sea and the air. We are connected to the Creator, to all of these, and therefore, we have a responsibility to care for all of creation. For we human beings are created to care for creation. It says, yes, to, to watch over it, to order it, to rule it, to protect it, but not to own it. Because it's only ours for a short time. We've been given, in essence, a provisional responsibility as stewards of the earth to watch over it and care for it, and in particular, a stewardship of care for one another, of watching over other people. The guy across the hall from me in college, uh, <clears throat> he and I used to have some great discussions. He was an atheist, I uh, a Christian, and we just really enjoyed talking with each other and enjoyed each other's presence. And, but one time I, I asked him, um, you know, as an atheist, what, what do you say about morality? I mean, without God, what's your base for morality? And I'll never forget his response because he said, well, I'm moral when I feel like it. That was really helpful for me to discern how his story really was different from my story. Because... We as Christians are not moral just when we feel like it because we've been created as stewards of the earth. God's stewards for this marvelous creation. 
It matters all the time that, that we remember who we are and whose we are. And so the way that we orient ourselves to life has to do something like this. In everything that happens to us, we have to ask ourselves, how is God present in this situation? Let me be very clear, that's not saying God has caused everything that happens to us. But God is present. So how, how can I reflect in, <clears throat> in everything that happens? My faith in that God who is loving us, and if the world has become corrupt, is seeking to redeem us. That's our responsibility for life, our stewardship of life. We've been given great power. We've been given great power, and we respond to everything that happens to us as if God were present, because that is the case. That is how we see life. We have been called and loved into being, and so we have been created by a loving hand, and we are set free to be loving creatures. In fact, that's how we fulfill ourselves as responsible stewards. We have a call from God, especially to hear the need in our neighbor's lives, especially those who are in greatest need. Life has meaning as we are created by the Creator, and life is valuable because God values it and loves us. I think these passages of, 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 of Scripture as they begin point us to a sense of our stewardship of life, Part of that life comes from how we take care of one another in the church. The church is about people learning to, to form and reform ourselves, not because we're perfect, but because we're seeking to, to be present to God and to listen to God. How do we take care of our church as we seek to be faithful there together? How can we help one another flourish in God's good creation? It's like a business, you know, you see some businesses and, and someone may become a manager or take some responsibility on in a business and, and they, uh, they, they, they use it for themselves, for their own betterment. And there's other people who use it for the good of the company, for the, for the good of the, of, of the people around them, for the good of the community. There really are different ways of orienting ourselves towards life. We've been made managers of the church together, managers of God's, God's people together. How will we be good stewards to help care for the other people in the church? This responsibility is a joy, it's a privilege, the privilege to participate in God's good creation in so many ways, and especially in our life in the church together. Our task, first and foremost, is to figure out what God is doing in the world and to join in to God's work because God is at work creating and creating us still to help us move into yet undiscovered ways that God will be creating the world and us anew because God is with us and God is just getting started with us. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and holy God, help us to become aware of that sense of your presence, your image in every human being. 
Help us to respond to one another in love and with a sense of awe at the uniqueness of your hand and the the grace that you give to us. We ask your blessing on this church, on its present, its past, and its future. Help us to see your creative hand opening us for new beginnings. We pray for the people of this church in all the different ways that they seek to be faithful. For those who care for one another in love, we pray especially for those members of the congregation who are going through loss or bereavement. We pray for them and we keep them in our minds and hearts. Help us to respond in love to one another. We pray for those who are are seeking to reach out beyond the walls of this church to care for those in need in the world. We pray for all the ways that lives will be touched and transformed with our mission, with our vision, with our love. Holy God, we pray for the church as a whole as we seek together to strengthen your presence in the world, your message, your word, and your ways. We ask your blessing. As you have blessed us, help us to be a blessing that the love might abound, that the grace might grow, and the hope that hope might spread through all the earth as we live together as your faithful people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.